Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. The Torah portion called Nitzavim, which means standing, covering Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 9 through chapter 30, verse 20. So, a couple of things to keep in mind, some, you could say, Nitzavim nuggets to mine out of this particular passage here today. One of which is between life and death, yeah, choose life. Well, that, that should be, duh, self-explanatory. Well, who wants to die? But amazingly enough, there are a lot of people who like death. They like destruction. They like to tear things down rather than to build things up. So that is actually, you know, when you talk about things that have to be learned, actually choosing life is in a sense something that has to be learned in one sense. Although you have people who have fear of death, that is another sense where they might want to choose life. So in the one sense, you've got the choosing life or death. Death, destruction, death for other things, death for other property other than your own. You're like, okay, that can be attractive. It feels like you have power over somebody else. We see that happening in lots of places of the world where you've got a group that will come in i mean we're seeing it happen on the tv today here with afghanistan and then the taliban coming in they like to have power over other people and like to exercise power over other people so that's very attractive so you have to recognize that power destruction domination is extremely attractive as what they say about absolute power corrupts absolutely absolutely it does because you can get drunk on power. You might have heard that comment before. So power is something that is truly seductive. But so is life. You think, well, well, why would you not be addicted to life? Well, at what cost? You also have lots of examples in history. Well, someone will sell somebody else out because they think that is promoting their own life. You see, in the midst of a panic, you might have seen it depicted you know, very dramatically. I mean, what is one of the things that you will see happen in the midst of, it's dramatized, but in the midst of a panic on some sort of um, media movie or whatever. What happens in a panic? Like, people are running over each other, trampling each other, you know, you'll see examples of it, like if there's a fire in some sort of crowded room or whatever, that people will get trampled at the exit, because what? Their life, preserve their life, not really care about other people's lives. So on those two things, you know, choosing life, choosing death, both of those things have their attractions to it. But again, at what cost? At what cost? 
So this choosing life over death is something that happens. You'll you'll hear a lot of uh, skeptics out there today. Well, it's all about nuance. Well, yes, and so is that comment. Choose life is the nuance of the context, how you make that choice to make that decision that you are going to choose life and perhaps even choose life over your own life. Because what is one of the things that Yeshua told us is that greater love has no man than to do what? Trample over somebody else to get to the exit? No, <laughs> that you may lay down your life for your friend. And, you know, you could say similar to the, the comment about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Well, who's my neighbor? Well, who's my friend? Well, sometimes your, your friends may be, I mean, today we talk about on social media, oh, I got all of these friends. Well, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> maybe they're, they're not uh, truly the friends that will be throwing themselves down and their lives down to help you. So that is what one of the things that's talked about here today is about the instructions of the Lord. The instructions of the Lord are what helps us to make that decision. Choose death. Choose life. Sometimes choose the way that leads to our death to preserve other life. Or, as you see Yeshua also bring out, is that don't be concerned about your life, you know, because be concerned about the one who can destroy your soul. Yes, uh, Larry. I'm thinking we have to note that not only did the Messiah say that, he provided an example of that. <laughs> yes, he lived out that example of that. So, and that is a case where choosing life in the grand scheme meant immense death in the process of it. And that is one of the key things that we get at and is discussed in this particular passage here today is it even mentions, well, why would such a curse come down upon the people? We mentioned it a few Torah passages ago that this whole mission with Avraham and Israel is all about a lifeline to the world. That's what makes this so unbelievably important. So if your lifeline, <laughs> you know, we think it's pretty easy. If you have a, like a, a life preserver with a rope on it and you throw it, okay, it's only dependent upon your throw. Well, what if you're throwing your life preserver and then your life preserver has a mind of its own and it just decides, woo, woo, woo. You know, you're trying to throw it one way and it's steering off some other direction. That is, in a sense, what the whole mission of what's called Israel is all about. It is, it is heaven's lifeline to the world. And sometimes that life preserver decides to just go off in some other direction than the way it's been thrown from heaven. So that is why the curses that come down upon Israel are really so severe because you're setting this lifeline out to save the world and the method of saving decides it's going to go some other direction. So thus it has to be quite severe because as it mentions here on in chapter 29, as we get to 
let's see it's you're standing here today your little ones all these people who are with you even the people chopping your wood entering into a covenant today and down in verse 14 but not with you alone am i making this covenant and this oath but with those who are standing here today with us in the presence of the lord and with those who are not with us here today so that is what we've been talking about is this legacy that you pass on from one generation to the next this is something that is being made with generations to come that's what's behind the idea of the covenant the sign of circumcision is that the parents are passing this legacy on and making a commitment that this is going to be something that there's going to be carried on into this next generation that's going on and then that next generation is going to pick that up and take this legacy and move it into the next generation after that and after that and after that so one of the things and battles that's been going on in this particular country for over four decades is you know when does a human life begin when does a person begin so here we are seeing this example of this legacy is being handed down from one generation to the next before the next generations are even thought of yet even established yet so in the minds of heaven these generations are coming forward already exist in the minds of heaven that's like where you get those sometimes perplexing statements like you see in Revelation where it says, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Well, <laughs> when you're looking at timeline there, that's uh, kind of a strange statement to be saying something that happens in a point of time that was also happening in the very beginning and stretches all the way down into the end of all things and then into the new heavens and the new earth thereafter. Yes, Larry. And studying this, it looks like that statement that Moses made was something that Messiah picked up and said about the end times. And so I don't know, maybe you're going to go into that later on. I might want to discuss it a little more. So, uh, what specifically did you see in that regard? He said, I, I, I'm telling you this, but not only, uh, not only you, but those who hear it from you. And uh, the ones who are not here now, essentially. I don't remember, but it's, it's the same thought. Yes. People way ahead. He's, and then he, oh, and he said, and this generation shall not pass until that all is accomplished. And, and it looks like he we might have picked up that thing from, from Moses and was talking about the last generation. And then there's a lot of interesting things that go further from that. Yeah, last last generation and so that even is even a perplexing statement because you think well generation lasts a particular point in time but there is also the case of the present generation that he's talking about the evil generation the wicked twisted generation that he was addressing right there but when you look historically that quote wicked generation went for a few generations back and then also a few generations forward and if you also look at the whole context of wicked generation uh it's actually addressed right here as well in this particular passage that this quote wicked generation would be a uh how would you say it a spawning of 
what would bring on the exiles that are also mentioned here about being scattered into the nations around. So, yeah, that's a, it's a very, very good point. So, also a couple of key thoughts before we go much further, that the Torah is not difficult. It's in your heart and in your mouth. But this is, again, nuance, king, context is king. So the word is in your heart and it's in your mouth, but what do you need to do with your heart and your mouth? They need to be calibrated, as you might say, big old 50 cent word. They need to be aligned. They need to be brought into the correct direction. Your heart needs to be beating in the correct rhythm and your mouth needs to be moving in the right way. Well, yes, Larry. Calibrated. Calibrated. Calibrated, okay. yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Not expialidocious. That's a... <laughs> yes, it needs to be aligned because otherwise you could just say, well, whatever your heart desires, whatever your, um, your thoughts are at any given time, well, then that is the way you need to go. Well, how do you know if that's the way that you need to go? Well, you have to calibrate it or adjust it with something to compare it to something to move forward. So from there, we'll just kind of take a quick look of where this is in the context of the entire uh, last address that uh, Moshe is giving before you know, his mission is done. And this is in the section of Deuteronomy called Moshe's third address and starting with 29, where we kind of left off last week and will continue on, to, uh, continues on through the last part of what we were talking about today. So his last message is choose life, not death, choose Life, not adversity. Choose the blessing, not adversity. And also, that these things are not hard. But what is the thing that is hard? What makes it difficult? Desires, we call it the flesh. This thing that just keeps dragging us down to want to go after our own thoughts, our own inclinations, what we think is right, which gets into a very, a very key part of this particular passage that we're looking at today. So one of the key thoughts that's in here is in Deuteronomy 29.9, right at the beginning of this particular passage, to keep, to do, and prosper. So keep the words of this covenant, do them, so that you may prosper in all that you do. So this, again, is spoken by the servant of the one who took them out of the house of bondage. So these words are meant to have the people prosper, not to bring them into bondage, not to subjugate them but to make them prosper. 
So one of the things that we see further on from that is that this message of keep, do, and prosper is one of the, you'll, you'll see it brought on when we get into chapter 32 with the song of Moshe. It's expressed there that these are also exasperations because you might think, okay, these are the ways to protect and keep the people. But we see in the history of Israel, and we see in our, or our own history, that yes, to choose life is, seems like a very simple directive, very simple choice. But why then do we choose adversity? Why do we choose to go the hard way, to go the way that doesn't lead anywhere? We don't realize it's a choice. <laughs> the devil made me do it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So you think that it's just something that is totally beyond you. Well, what is something that we bring up on a regular occasion related to the... Oh, yes, Pamela, you have your hand up. Okay, thank you. Uh, well, uh, we haven't gone far enough, you know, like into the Haftorah. Um, I was impressed today with um, Isaiah 63 because it talked about um, the Lord's anger because uh, he brings on a day of vengeance. And then when you compare what's going on these days, it seems to me that it's the wrath of the Lord because uh, we're experiencing fires in the West, floods in the East, and hurricanes, destruction, and then a worldwide pandemic. It's like uh, the Lord is in a day of wrath. And it, in 63, it talks about treading the grapes of wrath. And so when you're talking about grapes in a wine press, it seems to me we're in a days of um, grapes in the wine press. Yeah, it very, very well could be. But one of the things to always remember is what the, the Yeshua brought forward is that, you know, you'll hear about earthquakes and, and plagues and pestilence and whatever, but those are, the, you could say, the beginning of the birth pangs. So perhaps we are into the full delivery, so to speak, of what is coming with the world to come and the day of the Lord, but maybe not. What our task is to, is to do what? Choose life. Choose life. Yes, that is what our role is no matter whether we're at the beginning of the birth pangs we're in the middle of the birth pangs yes and in that context daniel's three friends they chose life but look what happened <laughs> yes they didn't know they were going to live but they know they chose life not the form of physical life but okay i'm choosing to die in order to live it's kind of a strange thing that type of choosing of life was a choice to be thrown into the fire Chose, yes, choose the road to life. Right, exactly. It, 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 even though the destination looks very, very painful and uninviting. <laughs> um, little road, little toasty. The choice of life is not to say a choice of the path that looks like you will live. It's a path that looks like you may not, but choosing the, choosing the path anyway. And that those, when you see the world around us and strange things going on, well, it may kill us. Yeah. But you've got to choose life. What do we do about the things that are brought on to us? 
how do we react to the things that come on about about us do we run in panic mm -hmm. are we people of panic and fear afraid of death no i mean we see what what's going on with our brothers and sisters we talked about afghanistan oh, praise god there several thousand have been rescued there's still number that are still on the run but they made that decision in a land that you know we can say okay i i choose to follow the way of mashiach well for us what is that going to get us in this particular time period it can get us into trouble with our employer and sometimes with the local government but that's only something that's happened in the past year year and a half well, there's other parts of the world where it has been going decades and generations. It's been that way. Where to choose? Yes, remember Esther. May I mention uh, in Isaiah 63? What was that again? Uh, the first nine. Isaiah 63, the last yeah. of a Haftar reading. Right. It's uh, verses one through nine. Right. And in um, first of all, he starts out about his wrath towards yeah. everything and then um the prophet speaking in verse seven reminding people of the loving commitment of god and then it talks about he has great compassion on the house of israel and they are my people children who do not act falsely in other words if, if we're christians or whatever uh, hebrew roots you know live it don't act falsely and then in his distress, he sent them his messenger of his presence. That would be the Messiah. And he saved them. And in his compassion, he redeemed them and carried them all the days of old. So um, the Messiah was with them then. And we are not to be acting falsely. Yes. And as that goes on, talking about verse 10 and 11, that's about... Uh, they rebelled, and the one thing about Hebrew poetry is you have this couple thereabouts. They rebelled, and they grieved his spirit, his Holy Spirit. And so basically we talk about with the New Covenant prophecy that one of the things about the Spirit of God is to do what? It's about what are you getting at? helping us to move along into the ways of God and to do the things of God. So it gets us right back to Moshe's comments at the end. This is something that's not too difficult for you. It'll be immensely difficult for you if you are not you know, listening and following through and your life is filled with the Spirit of God and moving you in that direction toward these so that you want to do the things of God, that your life is aligned toward the things of God that you don't fight against to, to bring anguish to the path of God. And exactly right. then and when they talk about it... Don't anger verse, God. Right, that's right. And uh, it mentions there about the people remember the days of old, Moshe. So again, the prophet Yeshiahu is talking to a generation that is doing what with the ways of God? They're walking right along with the ways of God. They're perfectly in sync. Their heart is beating right in rhythm with heaven. No, uh, quite, quite the opposite. Because 
this is a message here to a generation, you could say a, a, an evil generation of that particular time period. You see kind of a similar thing in like uh, Miriahu's talking before, and then you've got uh, Ezekiel talking is kind of bridging between the two, the, the time before and then the time after the times of exile and destruction. So you get this picture of a similar thing. One of the problems was an interior rot. The inside of the people, the outside looked fine. But the inside, inside the temple of God was something quite different. Something quite different was going on. They thought, what? Or we we're going to hide it from the vision of heaven? So, Pamela, do you have another question? No, that's fine. Thank you. Okay. So, one of the key things to look at here today is, is this very interesting passage here in Deuteronomy 29, verses 14 through 21. It, to call it an interesting passage because, you know, when you look down through some ancient commentaries, they kind of split and go in, in completely different directions because of the strange uh, metaphor parable that shows up in the middle of it. So again, there, and starting in verse 14, now not with you alone am I making this covenant and oath, but both with those who stand here today with us in the presence of the Lord our God and with those who are not with us here today. For you know how we lived in the land of Mitzrayim and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. Moreover, you have seen their abominations and their idols of wood, stone, silver, and gold, which they had with them, so that there will not be among you a man or a woman or a family or a tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations, that there will not be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. It shall be when he hears the words of this curse that he will boast, saying, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart, in order to destroy the watered land with the dry. The Lord will, shall never be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will burn against that man, and every curse which is written in this book will rest on him. And the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Then the Lord will single him out for adversity from all the tribes of Israel according to all the curses of the covenant which are written in this book of the law. Ouch! <laughs> That's pretty harsh. So what is it that is going on here that is so bad that you would have this kind of a curse that would go down to say eh, the Lord will never be willing to forgive him and then the Lord will single him out from adversity from all the tribes of Israel. Uh, Anne? Uh, I'm sorry, Pamela, you have a yeah, comment? Pamela? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the, the comment is on that verse 20, the Lord shall blot out his name from under the heavens. Well, that's not once saved, always saved. Yeah, certainly not. Certainly not. That's, yeah, that's all. Yes. And uh, you had a comment. Um, about justifying ourselves, you know, say, well, I have peace of mind about this. I'll just do it anyway because, you know, 
God is good and he's forgiven me so far and I'm forgiven all my sins are forgiven so I'll just I'll just do this anyway and uh, you know Lord says no he sees it and he talks about a bitter root of wormwood Yes. And that's something you're going to comment on. I, I was Bitter wood or redwood? Uh, redwood. Wormwood, yes. <laughs> Re reprobate. <laughs> yes. The reprobate, yes. But uh, talking about the question of wormwood, uh, we have covered those a, a few times here. Uh, just want to point your attention to a great one where we actually were going through, uh, coming up on the time of Yom Teruah, we actually, uh, Daniel went through the trumpets and specifically related to the third trumpet was where he was uh, talking about the worm was an established symbol in the Torah. It is the idea that I am good with God, even though I do not follow the Torah, worship him in the manner that he requires. So if you want to see that whole study there, it's at halal.info slash trumpets dash 2020, meaning last year. So halal.info slash trumpets dash 2020. And you can see the whole long study, listen to that and uh, goes into more detail. And Jared also did a fantastic uh, job there. If you go to halal.info slash nitzavim, which is just the name of the parasha here, nitzavim-2019-2019. That's uh, nitzavim is spelled N-I-T-Z-A-V as in Victor, I-M as in Mary. So nitzavim-2019. And couple of uh, comments in there is that the man who intentionally sins and presumes that he can use his righteous neighbors like human shields to protect himself from the wrath of God. He presumes on God's mercy that his fellow Israelites' righteous, righteousness will protect him from the consequence of his sin. He says to himself, God will surely not destroy all these righteous people to get to me, and I'll be able to partake in the blessings and in inner peace. So, where that is all getting at is from this passage here, which is, I was saying, has been problematic over the centuries, where you have this uh, parable, because it's mentioned here, and this is the New American Standard, where it talks about uh, that he will boast. And uh, the Hebrew there, it's, uh, he will basically bless himself, is what that literally says there in Hebrew. He will bless himself, saying, I have shalom, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart in order to destroy the watered land with the dry. And what has caused kind of the problems over time is that to destroy is uh, something, a word that can also mean to like sweep away, which is where you get this picture of destroying. Now, the same language there is used almost identically back in the little conversation that uh, Avraham was having with the angels over Sodom, which completely coincidentally is why Sodom is also mentioned in this particular passage that we're looking at here, here in uh, Deuteronomy. So thus you see the interesting context of this, that someone is, as uh, Jared and Daniel are noting, that they're living in the midst of the well-watered people. And here coming up on Sukkot time, we think of one of the, one of the uh, plants that is uh, talked about 
well, actually a couple of them, is one is the willow, which is what? It's planted near rivers. So it is the idea of being well watered. So one of the things of well watered is being an image of people who are next to the rivers, the waters of life, the waters of heaven. So they are the righteous. They are well watered with the righteousness of heaven. Now, versus the dry, the parched, are the opposite. They're disconnected. They're not drawing from the waters of heaven. So thus, their spiritual life is dry. They are a dry people, but they live amongst well-watered people. So, um, do you have a comment or a question? Ah, yes. So, that is one of the, the key things to look at is that you cannot just be, you know, we talk about guilt by association. Well, this is righteousness by association. We mentioned that the legacy of heaven is just something that is not a pure lineage because we've seen that Yochan um, or John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, and Yeshua talked about this in the realm of rocks and the children of Abraham, the lineage of Abraham. So, oh, well, we can have this, this great lineage to heaven because we were born into the lineage of heaven. No. It says that heaven can bring up children of Abraham out of rocks. So out of something that appears dead, yet you can have something that is connected to the life stream of heaven. And the interesting part is uh, something when we're talking about uh, the, the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, also something that Yeshua referenced here in one of his parables, kind of a, a double-barreled parable. And this is here in Luke chapter 17, but it's also quoted in Matthew chapter 24 as well. Starting in uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 26, and goes through 37. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were, given, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. Answering, they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. So, we've talked about in previous times about the 
vultures gathering being one of the imagery of the day of the Lord and an aspect there. The sad aspect of it, vultures don't gather for people who are alive. They gather for what? People who are dead. <laughs> yes, people who are dead. So when you're talking about choosing life versus choosing death, where are the vultures gathering? Over those who chose death, chose the road that leads to death. Uh, or as you know, the apostle Yaakov said, they are choosing the sins that lead to death, the deviations from the way of God that lead to death. You might say, well, it doesn't get them right to, you know, uh, Deathlandia immediately. It's not just a right off-ramp right to Deathlandia. No, it's, you could say, a little side road. Starts as a side road, maybe a frontage road where you're just kind of going right along. And then maybe suddenly it gets wider and wider. Maybe suddenly it goes around a curve and you're far away from the road that leads to life. But the interesting thing is, is that it, in this double-barrel parable, in both cases, they're like the people around didn't realize what was happening. They weren't paying attention. So one of those things where you, know, you might hear people say, well, you know, God and I have an understanding. You know, he does his thing up in heaven. I do my thing here, and we're all good. Well, that's, that's the thing is that you just think, well, what? You're just going to get swept up with, uh, with the good that's going to be coming with the kingdom of heaven? Or what tends to happen in the other direction? Get swept up in what's going on if you're not paying attention to the hazard that's coming. Yes. It's a principle that I'm sure some of us have brought across individuals like this. So their life said, well, I, I've been baptized. I'm good. In that you got baptized and that was the extent of your, you know, your walk with God and you, would, you go to church you know, once, twice a year and that's about your extent of it. That's not the understanding that God instructed us to do. The same principle, the idea that, oh, we, God and I have an understanding now. I was baptized, we're good. We're not, now we're good. I'll live my life, and he lives his. It, it's, it, the, that, that philosophy applies uh, to either people who claim to be Christians or not. It doesn't make any difference. The philosophy still applies. I, mean, I, can, I can, quote, be baptized in a quote, call myself a Christian now, but not follow suit with anything God instructed me to do, or at least not the majority or some 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 percentage of it, I say, well, it's not important, it doesn't matter anymore. It's still the same distorted viewpoint. It's still the same messed up idea, regardless of your of whether you were baptized or not, that's not relevant. Just because I got dunked in water once doesn't make you clean. It's a symbol. That's all it is. Um, but we have to actually apply the symbol away from the symbolism to actual real life. Yes, Jared. It's like car insurance. Car insurance. Yeah, you have car insurance, so should you get into a crash, you're sort of covered, but you're not going to go around nilly-willy driving your car, trying to get into a crash, and like, oh, it's okay, I have car insurance. I'm covered. Uh -oh. Don't worry. Look out, and, we, we, we have yeah. an insurance expert here who's going to tell us all about how that philosophy will work. It's, 
it's not a a good you know yeah the problem is is that most insurance policies have a um, line against intentional torts meaning that if you purposefully take your car and ram it into the side of a building it, you do that on purpose it's no longer an accident and therefore it is not covered mm. even better <laughs> yes well I guess also maybe one good thing is that uh, there there uh, is not a, a stoopy exclusion. So thankfully, thankfully so the insurance companies at least on paper have some sort of grace. Thankfully, heaven has a whole lot more grace and mercy, <laughs> yes, <laughs> than your insurance company does. Because you know when you look at both and what we're talking about here, the things that should lead a whole nation and the world along with it to destruction through the mercy of God actually throws a lifeline to say, come back. Oh. Yeah, Daniel, do you have a comment or something? Okay. <laughs> Oh, yes, Anne. I think I bring this up every time the scripture comes up. <laughs> yes. Okay, some people do follow this. You know, the one is in the bed, another one is taken, taken where? And, you know, they use it as one is taken is one that is a believer, and the other one is not a believer, and they will, they, they move on. They, they move on to the rapture, all that word. And, um, you know, so I'm trying to see the connection between what God says here about Lot's wife and, <clears throat> you know, whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. That that's the next verse that comes after that is, you know, there'll be two in one bed and one will be taken and the other will be left. So where is the connection between that? Where, what is, okay, you know, what is the, the similarity between um, where... Lot's wife got into problems, and with the people who were eating and drinking. And well, what, what is what is a similarity? Well, Lot's wife looked back because she longed for Sodom, and someone who is uh, well, someone working in the field is one is taken. So how is that? I mean, he's working and doing something, but he's not really looking one, back. One of the one of the things though is. This is in the context of what? Talking about the coming day of the Lord. Oh, right, right. So, what is something that Lot's wife did not realize? There's more to come? Destruction. I mean, that she was... She was that... What? It was better where she was versus the place that was going up? She was actually looking to, to stay in the death trap, maybe that's it. You know, or, or you might say kind of in modern in parlance, death. You know, she and those in the, in the field in this particular parable and those in the city, you know, they might say, you know, they're wearing a t-shirt that says, you know, I left my heart in Sodom. <laughs> because and truly, that's, that's what the issue is, is your heart is in Sodom. Your heart is in the world and the things that are going on, eating and drinking and giving in marriage and just the, the, way, the ways of life. 
You have no context to see what is truly going on. To say, where would I rather be? Outside of Sodom or inside of Sodom? So when you're seeing the brimstone and everything coming down upon Sodom, where would you rather be? Running with with my husband. (laughs) Well, you you would think, but then again, it's that, you know, where did you leave your heart? It was a similar issue with Israel coming outside of Egypt. Right. What were they commonly longing for all the time? The leeks. But the leeks and the... Well, those must have been fantastic leeks. I've had leek soup. I never liked it. I would definitely not choose bondage to have leek soup. But it's one of those things that you just don't realize the situation that you were in and what you've been delivered from. You don't realize... The, you could say the lateness of the hour, where things are headed, where it is better to be you know in, one, in one place or the other, which gets back to the whole question of choosing life versus choosing death. You know, one may decide to do things just to prolong their life, realizing, wait a minute, there might be something that is bigger, better in life. I just noticed the words, on that night, on that night, which is the... Day of the Lord. Mm, yes, because that's that night, the context of where, where this right. uh, lesson uh, of the, of the, is going. Correct. Pat, correct. you have your hand up. Yes, I think probably for a modern person, one of the things, a, compare, a really good comparison would be all the stuff that we have and that we don't want to leave behind. You know, if you had to move or run from a fire, what are you going to take with you? Um, how much value are you putting on your stuff as opposed to your relationship with God? <laughs> That's true. Yes, Rose. Well, I, I would like to uh, do a, a confession here. Uh, this last year, I found myself getting caught up in politics, and I found myself having an opinion and voting and and carrying on that so-and-so should have this and the other person is doing this and when i should have had my mind right here on the word of god and knowing that he's in charge and my voting or my opinion is is nothing but my obedience to god is everything Mm. so um i you know i i do confess that and, and I have repented, uh, although I still find myself looking on Facebook on things and just to see what's going on, you know. And um, so I'm really working hard on trying to pull myself away from that and just really repent mm. of getting caught up in worldly affairs. Although, you know, I can still pray for people who are like in Afghanistan. I, I don't think God's going to hold it against me if I pray for their safety and, <laughs> and care. But on the other hand, I don't think he wants me worried about politics. So I need to be able to step away from that and um, not yeah. be partaken. Well, one of the things that uh, you know, is always, always good to remember is that society today and the way that uh, governments mostly operate in this world is nothing like what we have in the Bible. So... There was one of this, these perceptions that you have that, you know, the role of someone who's a person of God never gets involved with, quote, politics, unquote. 
The question is, is that, well, what does politics actually do in your life? For example, you know, you've got the example of people who did get involved in, quote, politics, which is Daniel is an example of someone who got involved with politics over, you could say, several administrations, so to speak, several empires that he was involved with. But what was his core? It was not attached to Babylon. It was not attached to Persia. It was not attached to Medo-Persia. It wasn't attached to any of those. He was the same person, which is why all of those administrations, so to speak, had him not only because of the blessing that God had, but because that he was the same person. He was not obsessed with it, but he was that person speaking the words of God to all of those, quote, administrations or empires that came one after the other. Yes, Daniel. You're absolutely right that, that we don't pay attention to the fact that we, I don't. You should, you should don't. When it comes to being involved, as, as Rose pointed in politics, in the biblical context, politics means getting a favor done by the king or whoever's in charge to get favors to get underhanded or unique preferences done for you on your behalf because either you're important or you have extra money or that's what politics is in our biblical context and that's what politics always has been always would be from from genesis onward that's what politics is well in modern day politics isn't although i admit there's a whole <laughs> lot of favoritism going on it's still that, that, that realm is still 90% of it. But when it comes to voting on something or voting, that's, that's not a favoritism per se, although you may favor a particular candidate. But the idea is that what is best in your opinion for a nation as a whole. It's a little different in that that's not how the biblical foundation of politics has ever been. It was never discussed that way, not at all, except for the narrow, narrow window when Joshua was hanging around. <laughs> and if that, that was the narrow window of politics, or the, even some of the judges, where it wasn't about favoritism, it was about what's best for everybody. So there's a narrow little window where there is a type of, we would consider a, we would recognize as a modern form of a, of, of, of a political structure. And there was no one man in charge or anything, it was we just all the best we could. But that's a narrow window, and that's not what most of that was. Mm. I'm not advocating we should all, you know, you know, be pol political people. I'm just <laughs> that there's, there is a distinction between biblical definition or concept of politics versus modern day. There's some, some variation. So you're saying it's not wrong to vote? No, it's not wrong to vote. No, because, because one of the things that's, that's hugely different from, um, you know, the, the, the way the uh, ancient Israel's government is, or even what you read about in the Gospels, which was all mainly the Roman government, was that you know the people in the Roman government, you only had a few people, Paul being one of them, who could actually really do anything in society. All the other people who were conquered, you're pretty much out of luck. You know, you're just lucky that you just didn't get rolled over by the, by the Roman steamroller. You just try to stay out of the way of Rome at all costs. Uh, as you see, as you go through the Paul's letters, you'll see that if you were actually a Roman citizen, you had some hope of not being crushed under the Roman boot. Quite different as it is here today. Is you know we don't. Uh, <laughs> I should say that uh, not supposed to. In the past year and a half has maybe shown that that is uh, you know 
hanging by a thread, but not supposed to be in the realm of you are a citizen, so thus you have no say in anything. But the key is, is just like Daniel, you don't get obsessed, you don't get pulled into machinations of whatever thing it is you're doing. You be you. Daniel was Daniel. He even went and they thought he was getting executed because they counted on him being him. He was himself and that he was himself and he tied himself. He chose life, even though everybody else thought he was choosing death. He chose life and he chose the right way because he chose the author of life and the author of life and the creator of the lions were in which uh, whose den he was thrown into, moved him through and out the other side. But even like Daniel's friends are like, okay, even if we die, yet we will continue to serve because that, they saw, is the way of life. They recognize that this legacy that they had that came down to them, as broken as it was because they were <laughs> hauled off into Babylon and they were hauled off into exile, but that way was still the way of life. And the one who started them on that journey was still the one who was going to take them through, no matter if it would be death at that particular time or not. Pat, uh, you have a comment or a question? Yeah, I'd say Joseph is another example. Yes, of another who one. chose to follow God no matter what, and then who did his best by telling the Egyptians that his people were shepherds and they didn't want anything to do with shepherds to protect those people that came. Um, you see him serving God in the same way. Yes. Yes, exactly right. Um, yes, Larry. Uh, this the statement here <clears throat> that everyone seems to want to take to be the rapture. Right. Can be taken the other way and say, when did, when in the scriptures are we talking about good people being taken away it's always bad people are being taken away. The ones that are left are the good people. But in, in the, the, that verse, the, ta- the last sentence, uh, Susan says, says the answer, when they asked him, where, Lord, like, where are they taking you to? Yeah. He said, where the body is, the vultures are gathered. Yes. They're dying. Which, <laughs> which, which gets us right back to the passage that we were looking at before, because uh, one of the challenges that translators and commentators have had over time is that the same word that uh, is literally means to sweep away also is used to mean destroy and is also used to mean the destruction that fell down upon Sodom and Gomorrah and all the, the surrounding cities. And in the context, which is why Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot and Noah with the flood are mentioned here together because both of which swept away the problems that were going on. The flood swept away all but eight people. The fire and brimstone swept away all but Lot, his wife, and two daughters for the moment. But one, his wife, didn't make it out. So just then Lot and his two daughters out. So Thus, what was swept away? Everybody but Noah and his family, and everybody but Lot and his two daughters, ultimately. So, <laughs> yes, they were, they were left behind. So, thus, 
the the point is is that uh we and the 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 context of what we're looking at here in deuteronomy and in this particular passage here is you know you need to pay attention to what's going on around you just you know don't go on with your life just thinking that hey everything is all fine and lose touch with where heaven is saying the direction of everything is going otherwise it will catch you completely unaware you have no idea what's going on yes um i think there's going to be i wouldn't say it a rapture but i mean i think it'll be taken away because in isaiah it says that we will be taken from all ends of the earth and brought to jerusalem to where god's going to have us where he's going to plant us he says i will get you i will bring you back yep. on the wings of an eagle yeah so that's the only rapture i would say that i think not out of this earth god didn't make this earth because it was good i think you know he's going to make he's going to recreate it and then we're going to be coming into the temple the temple's not going up in heaven the temple's coming down here on earth so right. there, i mean there's so a reason to some particular place yeah i don't think we're going to get to go up in heaven and go flying around i think everything's going to, to be taking <laughs> place here i mean because they make you think that it's another propaganda and mis um interpreting the word of god and that's why I think there's so much confusion. And I know that God understands that, that we've been confused. And so people don't, they look at us and think, why would you want to be one of them? They don't even, they can't even, they're not even concrete uh, about what they're saying. Look at all the Christians have 10 different stories and 3,000 different religions. So I know that the way God is and when you study him, you know that there has to come a time when God makes it really clear because what kind of father would do that? It's like your father punishing you, and you got in trouble, but you don't know which one of the, the behaviors you did caused you to have a month restriction, right? That's what I would say. So, I mean, I think there's going to be a catching away of us being trans tele transported to wherever he's going to take us and hmm. hide us out maybe during the tribulation, I hope. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. But you 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 bring up a very interesting point about uh, having some sort of punishment and not having any clue what was going on because what and we're in the midst of a passage here in these last few chapters of Deuteronomy which is explaining hey this is why all this is happening and so when then you read the the prophets then you're again explaining hey this is why this is happening and you know I we're kind of still going through the book of Ezekiel and that is a a huge amount of hope because you'll see again and again these 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 little uh pictures of explaining to the people who are sitting now in Babylon this is why you're here this is how you got here and then also not only just like okay you're out of the land but there is going to be a return there is going to be a bringing back of this remnant but just like what we were looking at here with this particular passage uh, that we're looking at in Deuteronomy that just because you're amongst people who are quote in exile you're not just going to be just sucked back in because you happen to be amongst people in exile one of the consistent messages is that this remnant are the people who listen to the words of the Lord and also fall along and do the words of the Lord. They are the ones that are 
you know the various ways are like a, the the top of a tree that's pruned off and replanted in the mountain of the Lord. Various ways that that's described throughout the prophets, but it is a select portion of that, and they're not just selected at random. They are selected because they are choosing the way of life, not just going along with things to stay alive, but they are going along the path to really be alive, or as Messiah puts it, to have the life abundant, the life that is flowing over, not just existing, but flowing over. So that's where we're going to leave things here today. Any uh, last thoughts before we close out? Okay. Uh, Larry, yes. One of the things that the later study that I had was with, actually with uh, Monty Judah, who does a thing on Israel every every week, and apparently has a lot of contact. And there's a lot of stuff that is going on there. And one of the things that he pointed out to us is that 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 um, thing about the land would be desolate. He said it was desolate until 1949, 48. Or nine, I think it was, when they moved people back in there again, and then the Israelis started working on it, and they've turned it into a a, 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 a very good area again. Yes, and they said you'd look at it before. In fact, it was it was um, Mark Twain who went over there for a vacation, <laughs> yes. and he said, "I don't understand why anybody would have said this is the land of milk and honey because it's just desolate," and uh, and so that's one of the signs of the end. And I I think we come out with. Um, several other things I was thinking about, but I forgot it, is that we have to uh, lift up our heads and rejoice when we see the time coming. And when we see it coming, I mean, we can't, I don't think we can miss it now. We could be wrong, but it's not going to hurt us to look forward to that and, and rejoice that he's going to return. Oh, it, it had to do with they're starting to accept over there the, the, the fact that there's going to be, well, they've always looked forward to that final, um, uh, what do they call it, the final, not judgment, but reconciliation. That the that when the people would always come, all come back to the land. They call it something else. It starts with an R, but uh, re- not restoration. But uh, when you're forgiven, you know, mm. taken care of, redemption, redemption mm. final redemption, and the greater exodus mm. that they talked about, even in the old days, there was going to be a greater exodus. One time we don't even talk about one from right. Egypt, and uh, and that's. That seems to be happening, and something else that I forgot. Hmm. My brain. But that you you bring up a very interesting point about you know the the restoration of the the physical land, that um, people that have uh, come back and establishing things um, to establish the land there to create a place, and that has preceded what is actually going to happen within that land. So just like in the passage that we're looking at today, that this, this promise, this covenant is made not just with the people present, but with future generations, with those future generations in mind. So too, these restorations of, you know, first the land being a place to go to, then with, you could say, the heart of the land to really, truly start beating again and the dwelling place of the Lord eventually being there, 
That's kind of like where you have this the thing that we do with every Pesach, you know, next year in Yerushalayim, with the the hope that what the promise was going to be will actually be established. So again, you see the promise that the good work that God has done within us will be taken forth to completion on the day of Mashiach. That these things that are started will actually come to be. So that we don't just live in the present and the things that we see. Oh, this way of life works, so I'm just going to do that. That's the utilitarian route. You know, do what, whatever works. Whatever gets you ahead, no matter who you step over in the process. If it feels good, it is good. Yeah, if it, if it, feels, it, if it feels good, do it. If it feels good, it is good, various ways that that's rendered. You know, that is a, a philosophy, or as it's rendered in the Bible, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Yes. Yes. Please. Further, uh, the, uh, the, Monty also says he's been talking to people, Jews in Israel, and he says, well, what, are, what's gonna, if, what if you see this, this thing happen, you're they're looking forward to this redemption, and it turns out to be Yeshua of Nazareth. And they're saying, instead of saying, oh, no, we don't, whatever, they say, well, you know, we'll have to deal with that if it happens. They're starting to change their attitude about it, according to him. Yeah. Praise God that that would be the case, because we're kind of going back to the days of uh, Gamaliel, where they're like, well, maybe God is doing something, and we're just not totally up on seeing what's happening. But at least leaving out the idea that if it looks like God is doing something, that maybe we should consider that it is God who's doing something. So, yes. Yeah, because he's faithful that when he says he's going to do something, he will actually bring it forth to completion. So, again, that's, it's another good example of paying attention to the work of God and the instructions of God and what's happening around you. Because otherwise, you might end up in the situation we saw with the parable that <laughs> the sweeping away is happening and you get caught up along with it because you're just not paying attention to where things have gone and where you yourself have gone. We're in this period that's coming to a conclusion of the, the month of repentance leading up to Yom Teruah and Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. And that is all a part of what? Paying attention to what has been happening in your life and returning, returning further, moving on further down that road of life. And it's all about paying attention to yourself and what yourself is supposed to do inside the world around you to actually take these words of life, this path of life, and then move forward down the road of life in the world around us. That we can be people of character. That when they look at us, we're just not the, oh, there's another hypocrite. You know, they talk a good game, but wow, they act quite different. No, we move further and further down the road of true character where our life and the things that we say match each other. Yes, Larry. Suggestion. He doesn't make suggestions. No, the master doesn't. He said, watch, 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 because you know not when the day will come. Yes, watch. And that was a... 
That was serious, a serious order. Yes. Looks Watch like and pray to, to meditate on those words. Day in life. All right. Well, we'll close out here with prayer. Father God, we thank you for giving us your words of life and for guiding us toward the path that leads to life. Father, we thank you for giving us instructions. And Father, we just ask that you, you light the way and continue to call us home. Father, we look forward to the restoration of all things. We look forward to the return of Mashiach, and we look forward to the day that the dwelling place of God will truly and fully be among mankind. We thank you for all these things in the name of your Son, Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Halal.info.